0: We are working with it and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischappell.com slash 10X. There's a quick application there and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you will jump on a call with me and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you, and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapelcom slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Build Your Network, episode 69.
1: Hey, this is JP Sears from awakenwithjp.com. And if you wanna be as woke as I am, you should be listening to Build Your Network with my good friend, Travis Chapel.
0: I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest. But first, Build Your Network is supported by CastBox, the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on iOS and Android. CastBox has over 50 million free episodes that more than 10 million users download and listen to wherever, whenever. And now for all Build Your Network listeners, once you've downloaded the CastBox app, click Go Premium and enter promo code 90days to get three free months of premium features. Head on over to the app, Store or Google Play Store to download CastBox now. And now let's go ahead and chat with today's guest, JP Sears. JP is an emotional healing coach, YouTuber, author, international teacher, speaker at events, world traveler, and curious student of life. His work empowers people to live more meaningful lives. JP is the author of How to Be Ultra Spiritual and is very active with his online videos where he encourages healing and growth through his humorous and entertainingly informative videos, including his hit ultra spiritual comedy series. Which has accumulated over 100 million views. You can learn more about JP and his work over at awakenwithjp.com. JP, thanks so much for coming on the show today, man. Really, really excited to have you. Why don't you go ahead and expound on that intro just to Tad and tell us more about yourself?
1: Yes, Travis. One, thank you for having me, and yeah, you know, a little, little expounding on that intro. I've been making comedy videos for the, the past three years, and my style of comedy, at least from my delusional blue-eyed point of view, <laughs> is using the language of comedy to deliver deeper messages to people, to help people get more in touch with their authentic selves, their personal power, and really step into a space where they discover and unleash their inner genius more unapologetically and, of course, therefore have more meaningful lives and more fulfillment in their lives. But, yeah, before I did any kind of comedy videos, I was doing emotional healing client coaching for 13 years and along with that running workshops, classes, retreats around the world and it is very deeply satisfying work. And one thing I would like to share about that while while I was doing, you know, principally emotional healing coaching, no comedy on the scene. That was great work. I'm very proud of it. I think it was a very sincere offering. Yet one thing I was doing was essentially living in betrayal mm. of part of myself. The comedic part of me. It's always been an aspect of me ever since I was a child. Yet I sort of had this doctrine where I had bought into the idea, just all self-induced, that said, yeah, the comedic stuff, that would be terrible for business, JP. It would mm-hmm. discredit you as an emotional healing coach. So for me, though, I, even though I had this story that said comedy would be the worst thing for business, Eventually, I got to a point where I couldn't not bring comedy onto the scene. Hmm. And it turned out where being more true to myself in the sense of comedy is now a part of what I do. Yeah. It was the best thing I ever could have done for business. And I think a lesson that I took away from that is we always win when we bet what's real for us, when we bet on our true selves. It sounds a little cliche, and it is, yet I also think it's maybe a lot true. So
0: when you put those videos, the first videos that you were doing out there, was it always in your plan to like funnel clients into your business from your videos? Or was it just like, you know what, I'm sick of like hiding this part of me and I just kind of want to get it out there?
1: Well, uh, yes and no. Mostly no. I won't pretend to be smart enough to premeditate how my business growth has I've been very blessed to have it expand very exponentially since starting to make videos. But before I did the comedy videos, I was doing just sincere, like serious self-help videos on YouTube. I'd done that for a year, year and a half. And that intention was like, let me funnel clients into my coaching business. And yeah, got a few and I'm it's literally a few. Mm-hmm. But when I started doing comedy videos, I thought it would actually be the opposite. I thought it would repel clients. Yeah. But it turned out in a short amount of time, the comedy videos flooded my schedule so that it was more than full. Wow. As weird as that seemed, it it was the reality.
0: Yeah. Was it like when, when you first started putting these videos out, did you get a bunch of people like writing you and Like being upset at you for like making fun of that particular, you know, the first video I remember watching of yours, J.P., I was dying laughing. I watched it again this morning to prep for this interview. I don't think it did much in helping me prep. It just made me laugh again. (laughs) (laughs) But it was the if meat eaters acted like vegans one. And I don't know, just to me, I can just see a bunch of really upset vegans about that. <laughs> Did that happen? Do you get a bunch of negative feedback? And then were you just like, actually, this is kind of what I do. So just chill. Yeah. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com Travis. Just go to Indeed.com Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed.
1: Yeah, you know, in the beginning there was more of it because people didn't realize that I'm doing comedy on topics that I value and I respect. But you know, I before I came along, I'm sure there was people, but I've never seen people do comedy Mm on spiritual topics and a lot of health related topics. So I think it, it took people a while to get used to. But once I had several handfuls of videos out, the shock of it sort of wore off. And there was like a sort of like a getting used to oh, like, yeah, he's doing comedy on these cool things. Yeah. But on that one quick story, the if meat eaters acted like vegans video, uh, there, there were definitely some really angry vegans but there were also some really happy vegans which was beautiful and and i do look at videos like a mirror like you can see part of yourself if you take yourself too seriously you're going to see that hmm. if you know how to laugh with yourself you're going to see that but with that uh, that particular video, the BBC got a hold of me and said, JP, we'd like to interview you about the If Meat Eaters Acted Like Vegans video. I said, Cool, happy to do that. So we get in the interview, and now this isn't like, I mean, you're like a real human talking with me in this discussion, mm-hmm. but these are like BBC people where kind of like the newspaper news right. reporters, right. like <laughs> they aren't like acting like human beings. They're out to find fear-based drama mm-hmm. and, exactly. and exploit and they,
0: some sort of a,
1: yeah. Of course. So they don't necessarily offer, come with like an error of like respect and like joy, <laughs> like you do. So Anyway, I get, get on the line with them and there's two of them and they uh, – oh, right away, just, they were just weird people. But anyway, they, <laughs> they said, you know, JP, we went down to a vegan cafe here in London and we showed a waitress your video. And she was really upset. She said it was offensive. What do you have to say about that? And I just, it's like, I'm not going to play that game. I just, I would never want to rob someone from an emotion that their body generates. <laughs> so. Anyway, there's they're certainly... I think in the Ooh. world that we live in, Travis, anytime you say something meaningful, someone will be offended. Mm. Now, I hopefully outgrow, I think we'll evolve beyond this trend, yeah. but certainly yeah. my videos, I think every single video has some people getting offended by it, yet it's definitely less than it used to be because people kind of realize, like, ah, oh, there's JP, he's, he's maybe a good guy, actually, <laughs> maybe
0: oh man yeah that's so funny i figured you have to have a few of those stories and a few of those hate emails out there just from rewatching that video this morning there's so much good stuff in there <laughs> do you set aside time now so now that this has become a really integral part of your business do you set aside like creative time to try to come up with more videos now or is it just kind of like whenever something comes to you, you write it down and then try to implement it
1: yeah both you know not only have i had to progressively learned to restructure my day. But my whole career has been restructured honestly mm. the past few years where it used to be all I was doing was working with clients. And about a year ago I finally gave up my client practice. Oh, well. So I could entertain all the you know, like purposeful opportunities coming at me, speaking books, working, you know, sponsoring, doing sponsorships with companies and performing and Lots of cool things. So realizing like, yeah, for me, my videos are a priority. Not only do they bring in other great business, but they give me so much creative satisfaction in their way I can connect with people and have some level of impact on their lives. So, yeah, when I'm at least home, when I'm traveling, it can be a little bit more hectic. But when I'm home, the first part of my work day is an hour for creativity. So that's me. I'm scripting videos. And typically, the video ideas will just come to me at obscure times. I might be working out, taking a walk, feeding the dog. So I'll just I'll note the video ideas. But Bringing in the kind of like volumizing them with the scripting. That's something usually the first part of my first hour of the work day is prioritizing the priority. Right. Right.
0: What aspect of your business now, JP? So now that it's kind of grown beyond this scale to where you just don't have the time and resources to be able to do this one-on-one work, what yeah. aspect of your business do you think brings you the most fulfillment, or do you feel that what you do brings a constant state of fulfillment that brings you like a, you know, a steady type of a level instead of a roller coaster type thing?
1: I definitely have the roller coaster type thing. Yeah, I would say on the whole. The work I do f- is very fulfilling on the whole. But the most fulfilling thing that I'm finding lately is stage performances. Hmm. Uh, just this past week, I was on, a, actually, I guess, four cities in five days tour. One was a private event, but three were just full-on just JP shows I was okay. doing in theaters. and Like comedy shows, like? Yeah, ca- comedy. absolutely. That's the look, but also at the same time, I'm gonna share some sincere stuff from my heart. Uh, mm-hmm. While comedy is certainly the dominant language being spoken, so the shows are so thrilling. There's so much connection with the audience. There's a lot of fulfillment. So I'm I'm really looking forward to a, you know, a more full-on show tour in 2018, and it's exciting you know I've never been a big wave surfer but that's not going to stop me from using an analogy that I have no right to use but I imagine <laughs> like a a big wave surfer there they are on this massive wave and it's got to be thrilling it's got to be an adrenaline rush and, and there's a certain level of danger like there's not much room for error on those things yeah. and for me it's at least not physically but psychologically when I'm performing for a theater full of people it's a big wave for me. It's a thrill. There's so much energy and like, I have to be very present or else like, there's no way I can, you know, really be showing up and giving value and like, okay, it's a live audience of 800 people. So there's like no room for error. And at the same time, even if there was an error, like that's just improv material and we can play with that. So Hmm. And there's so much aliveness and thrill I get from those. and Just like I, when you go surfing. Absolutely, which I never <laughs> do. <laughs> uh,
0: it's funny. My, it's funny. My wife actually said something really similar to that when we were in New Zealand recently at some podcasting convention. And uh, we're driving through New Zealand. She looks out at like, all the rolling hills, and it's just gorgeous, beautiful. Just everywhere you look is, is like a picture. And she goes, I feel like this really reminds me of Ireland. And I was like babe, you've never been to Ireland. <laughs> She's like, well, I mean, like what I imagine Ireland to be, this is what that reminds me of what it might be. <laughs> yeah, so I love that was the analogy that came up when you said the surfing thing. But anyway, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, so long story short, as satisfying as like doing videos and, and other types of related work are for me, there's definitely a deeper level of, fulfillment I'm getting with live shows with big audiences. So when you
0: are talking to somebody, JP, and you are trying to, maybe it's some sort of a coaching or somebody just asks you for some advice or something like that, and they do work that is perhaps surface level less than fulfilling. So, you know, they're in a cubicle somewhere and they don't see a way out how do you help them with their level of fulfillment in their life? Like taking away, like, so obviously they're not speaking on a stage to thousands of people. They don't have millions of followers on their YouTube or whatever. You know what I mean? Like how do you talk to somebody like that and walk them through that process?
1: Sure. And I like how you, you preface it. They don't have millions of people watching them. I don't think fulfillment is at all related to how many people watch us. So I love how you preface that. But for me, fulfillment is typically proportional to the risk we take. When we're we're not living in a place of taking risks, what we're actually doing is living, dare I say, complacently mm. in our comfort zone. And I think our comfort zones are meant to make us feel safe and comfortable. They're not meant to make us feel happy. They're not meant to make us feel fulfilled. I think true happiness, not gratification, but true happiness and fulfillment come when we're growing. And growth happens when we're leaving our comfort zone, which means we have to be willing to feel fear, or else we're not gonna leave our comfort zone. So what I would ask a person to do when they're in a place where, you know, they're doing something that's not fulfilling, is I'd ask them to take a look at risks that they're not taking, Hmm. I'd ask them to take a look at things that scare them that they're not taking action on. In other words, where are you afraid to be afraid? Where are risks that have maybe crossed the horizon of your psyche? You've thought of things. Maybe it's a new business. Maybe it's just a new hobby. Maybe it's leaving a relationship. Maybe it's getting in a relationship. Maybe it's doing something you've never done. But where is a risk that you've said no to but part of you needs to say yes to mm-hmm. and then to me that's a very important question probably challenging to answer but we got to ask ourselves and then a uh, second consideration when we're in a place where ah, i'm just not fulfilled and i don't know how to get fulfilled i think we need to start doing new things Hmm. Even if it's just like randomly like okay, every week I'm gonna do at least one new thing. I'm gonna go to a class I've never gone to before, I'm gonna go indoor bouldering, I'm gonna do stand-up paddleboarding, I'm yeah. gonna do things I've never done before. Hmm. And that doesn't mean we have to be married to a new thing. And I'm going to keep doing this forever. But I think doing new things creates a pattern interrupt, not only in our lives, like at a physical level, but also psychologically, it opens up crevices that kind of like light consciousness thought would never flood into. So I I think we got to disrupt our existing patterns with new activities.
0: So you made a really important and interesting distinction to me when you were talking just now, JP, and I kind of want you to expound on it and take us a little deeper into that. Can you define, you said, you said, I mean, true happiness, not gratification. Can you define what happiness is versus gratification?
1: Happiness for me is a combination of meaning and fulfillment, whereas gratification is more about pleasure like I feel pleasure right now. So Hmm. we all know like an alcoholic drinking or a drug addict doing their drugs, like that's not making them happy, but it's gratifying them. Hmm. So I think happiness, it's an experience that goes much deeper inside of us. And happiness is sort of like more whole picture, whereas gratification, not all the time, but Sometimes it might be like, wow, this feels amazing right now, but it destroys the rest of my life. So to me, it's very important to make that distinction. And gratification is typically, in my opinion, geared around what feels good, whereas typically what makes us happy, sometimes there's going to be a lot of pain, sacrifice, suffering, challenge, adversity. That's where meaning comes from. And therefore, that's what generates a lot of happiness. And just last thing I'll say on that before I get off my little soapbox. I think when we are in the pursuit of happiness, a lot of what we use the word happiness to what we call happiness, we're not actually going towards happiness. We're going towards gratification. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's a good idea, honestly, for some of us to really sit down and reorient ourselves to what real happiness really is. So that when we're pursuing happiness, we're actually going towards it rather than going towards gratification, which can actually be a fairly destructive experience if it's not attached to real happiness.
0: So would you say that happiness is still like a feeling like you you feel happy or is it more like a deeper state of mind?
1: Well, I think it's both. I think the emotion of happiness is absolutely part of this concept of happiness, but I think there's also something much deeper that's touched inside of us Mm. that goes into our being. And then I dare say in this little JP opinion on happiness, it would be real happiness is somehow derived from within ourself, Mm. from the human heart. And it might be a deep connection with another person as well, But yeah, for me, I like how you talk about like something that comes more from like a frame of mind deeper in our being rather than just, you know, this ripple on the surface of our emotional self.
0: So much good stuff here, JP. I'm sure we could talk about this for a little little while longer, but I do need to switch the conversation and get into what the whole show is about, about networking and building relationships and growing your circle of influence and that kind of a thing. So this is a question I usually ask to get the conversation going. It's one I ask every guest on the show. I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say on it. Do you believe, JP, that what you know or who you know is more important and why?
1: Yeah, I think the who has become incredibly just apparent to me lately, especially like when I'm taking on projects that I don't know how to do, like parts that aren't in my genius. I really believe it should be a question of who, not how. And, you know, is what or who more important? I think the answer is somehow yes. They're both super important. For Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I've had the chance the past few years to, become connected and you know grow my network to include some really really heavy hitters and that makes a huge difference to me like one even if we don't have like some kind of project we're working on together just like the up leveling that comes from being around people who are living in a more unlimited way than i used to do like man that's an upgrade right there. But yeah. let alone, like, when we get into a project together, like, wow, okay, this is awesome.
0: Right, right. Just being around those conversations of, people that are just in a different bracket of thinking, it just is so transformative to the way that you think about things and the way that you view things. So I love that you said the up leveling because that's a phrase that I use a lot because it is what it does. You know, just being around people who are on a different level requires you to either get on their level or go get new friends, you know, for
1: sure. In witnessing conversations and experiences and people executing things where it's like, wow, You know, you forgot to throw all the limiting beliefs into that conversation. And I guess because you forgot that, you're doing something big in an unrestricted way. So watching how people actually don't screw up their lives when they forget (laughs) to include the limiting thinking.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Tell us about a time, a specific time that you can remember, JP, that a connection in your life led to a big moment of success for you.
1: Yeah, well, I love that. There's a lot. A particular one, uh, there's an organization that I had done, uh, I don't know, a handful of speaking gigs for. They had these events and they would bring me out to be a speaker and it was awesome. And in the point person, I had just developed a friendship with her. She'd pick me up from airports, take me to my place I'm staying. So after a few conversations, you know, we have a friendship and You know, and along the way, I learned she used to work for Tony Robbins. It's like, okay, cool. Sounds like a great experience. But then when I had a book coming out, I realized, well, I would love to have Tony Robbins endorse it for me. And I had gotten wind that he's been showing some of my videos on stage during some of his events. So, you know, having this lady in my network Mm -hmm. was amazing. She made the introduction to... Tony's EA. And anyway, he was very happy to give me a book endorsement. In fact, he invited me to be his guest at one of his events, which was amazing. That was a life changing experience unto itself.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Which event did you get to go to?
1: It was the uh, Unleash the Power Within event.
0: Okay. That's awesome, man. That's such a great connection. I think that also brings in the whole what you know aspect too, because you obviously had some credibility with Tony for him to be able to endorse the book. So that's an interesting story because it it definitely brings us the connection, but it also brought us the whole like, Hey, like if you're not good at what you do, then typically you're not going to be able to capitalize on the opportunities you may have based on the people in
1: your network. Yeah. I couldn't agree more on that. When I look at call it people who are approaching me to get into my network or maybe, and on the other hand, when I'm approaching someone else, the most meaningful factor, in my opinion, is what you've done. And it's like there's a mutual respect there where it's kind of like when I'm able to show value that I've created, people just like welcome me right into their network. Mm. And when I have someone, even though their feel might be super unrelated, but I see why, like you're doing something big, like at least as big as I'm doing, but your own way, there's a mutual respect where I become very interested in that person. Right. What I'm not interested in is what a person wants to do. What their ideas are, what I'm very curious, what I'm very interested in and makes me, you know, want to create a connection with a person is what you've done to me. Like that's common ground, because I think when you've got people doing big things in their own ways, that becomes a common cup of communion that we can both drink from. And, you know, also sound a little cliche, but it also shows like there's some level of reciprocity and equal exchange. Yeah.
0: Do you have a particular way that you found to deal with people who are just idea people as far as, I mean, you do a lot of these events, you have a lot of people that know who you are. Is there like a way to come up to you and introduce yourself that just turns you off completely to having any of sort of a connection with someone? Yes. (laughs) I'm sure I'm the, sure you have quite a few of those the, <laughs> types of
1: stories but the biggest allergy I have Travis feel like I need therapy over this <laughs> is when people ask me how can I support you JP now like that's a inherently a great question and it sounds very altruistic and sometimes it is mm-hmm. yet there's also like a feeling I have probably 80% of the time when I'm asked that question. And the feeling is like there's something very incongruent going on. Mm. So oftentimes what happens to me is it feels like someone's Asking me, JP, how can I support you? Because they're trying to get support from me. So that to you them. can
0: in turn support
1: me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the law of reciprocity. I'm I'm not an idiot. We've all heard of it. Mm. Yes, there's a psychological urge for us to reactively ask that question in return, which I don't do unless I genuinely <laughs> mean it. So that whole thing, like, what can I do to support you? Like, I don't know. Not ask me that. <laughs>
0: Let's go back in time and we'll try again. And that's how you can
1: support me. Absolutely. And, you know, I also, you know, I've had the experience with some incredibly well-experienced people who have done amazing things, who are very good people, and they'll tell me how they're going to support me. Yeah. They're like, JP, I want to do this for you, or I want you to come meet this person, or let's talk about this. Whereas the question, how can I support you? It's like that puts a burden on me, right. which is saying, okay, JP, tell me how I can be valuable to you. And that's a, it's a challenging question to ask, and it, it can be sticky depending right. on the person. Yeah
0: right so you're in this situation let's say somebody's listening and they are completely guilty of asking this question the last dozen times they met somebody they want to meet what would be your advice to them how would you suggest them to be able to not just meet somebody but be able to establish some sort of a connection that makes them remember them you know the next time they come up to them at an event is there a way that somebody's done that for you and you're like you know what that that was actually really good
1: yeah when people genuinely care and are interested. And it almost looks so unstrategic, because if you just sat there in a conversation for a couple minutes, and cared about the other person, Hmm. and were interested in them, and not the usual, like, what do you do? And how do you do it? But like, them as a person, when you express that care, which you can't fake, you can say the same words, but people are always more intelligent than we think they are. Mm -hmm. But People can feel if you care or not. So when you express care and you genuinely do care, man, that sticks with me. It really does. It, it's like it makes that person not just a figment in my memory bank of my thoughts, but now there's like an emotional connection. Like, wow, you you were a caregiver to me for five minutes. And that connects emotionally so it's more of a visceral memory and fondness and if you have to ask well how do i express care for to a person then that probably means you don't actually care mm. so right. like i don't know go right. heal your heart right and if i dare like answer that question that i just rhetorically asked like how do i express care i think being willing to break social norms is how you express care like one worth the the conference reception and it's a cocktail situation and everybody's, you know, kind of got their little facades on as we yeah. do. That's not a place of expressing care, but you have to kind of break the facades, get real with people. It might be a little bit not within the social norms of like we talk about the weather business and right. how many people are on your email list. But if you start to actually get real with people and break normal, like, wow, now you're able to actually express human care from your heart.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it has to do with like the mindset that people have that just is Really, really short term versus thinking just really because that's kind of what I've experienced with people that ask those kind of questions and get in those kind of situations is that they're thinking like, what's the ROI on the eight hundred dollars I spent on this event? How can I create some income from spending this money on this event? And how can I do it within the next forty eight hours? And they go up to you and say, How can I help? What can I do for you to make you want to do this for me so you can share my video on all your platforms and that way you can see this ROI here and there? Do you think it just stems from like? This inability to see past the first time you meet somebody.
1: I think that is a huge part of it. And I think it's very wise of you to see it that way. I, I happen to agree. That's why I said it was wise, because like, yeah, <laughs> I see it that way too, Travis. And you know, to use a little bit of a crude analogy, yet I, I think it's accurate. If you're on a first date with someone, being so short-sighted to the point where it's like, okay. If I don't score with this person today, then I'm never going to. And we all know, like, okay, if you come on so strong on a first date where you're just trying to, like, you know, really get this thing in the bedroom right off the bat, like, that's going to repel most people. But, you know, actually enjoying yourself on a first date, like, yeah, it might not lead to anything but it also might lead to a second date and then maybe a 10th date and so on. So the deep rich experience, it's not going to happen in the short term. It's going to happen a few dates in. So, Yeah, I do think being whole-sighted rather than short-sighted is incredibly valuable. But there's a kind of a poverty consciousness, like a fear-based mentality of lack that says, if I don't get it now, I'm never going to get it. Mm. And I think we have to be willing to be scared, like, well, spend $1,000 to be at this conference. Maybe it never pays off. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't, and that would be scary. But at the same time, if I can talk to people in a way where like, I don't have to get anything from them. Ironically, we'll probably actually get more benefit from them.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's so hard for a lot of people, I think to not be able to slap an ROI on something. And I, I was in that category a few years ago, because I'm a very like logical kind of math numbers thinker. And so it was difficult for me to kind of change the my frame of mind in that. But when you start doing that kind of stuff, you just start realizing that you look at people who've been doing that for a long time, and you realize that they're by themselves. They don't have any friends because they annoy no. everybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like everybody's just kind of like avoiding them at the event because they're the guy that came up to them last time, <laughs> gave them like a hundred of their flyers and like asked them. To, you know what I mean? It's just like, whoa, calm down, man. <laughs> like I'm just trying, to, just trying to talk to my buddy here. <laughs> like,
1: and, you know, feel absolutely. free to come in and
0: have a part of the conversation, but like, don't give. I was literally at an event like I don't know a month and a half ago. JP and this dude comes up to us in this line that we were in, and I was talking to. Three three or four people. He just comes in, hands us all a flyer, like does not say a word. Like I thought it was like a flyer for the event or something. And then I look at it and it's just like a m- piece of marketing material for his business. And then he walks yeah. away. I was like, what are you trying to accomplish here, man? <laughs> like, man, you know, I'm going to throw this in the trash immediately. Right? Like, are you just playing yeah. a numbers game? Like, what? Wow, it's such a short term way of looking at it.
1: It is a guy in the bar buys a lady a drink. She says yes. And then the next thing he says, Says, yeah, I'm staying upstairs in room 734.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a little little loud in here.
1: Can we go somewhere quieter? Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, you go. I'll stay here.
0: (laughs) Right. Oh, man. I'm sure we could chat about this for a long time, JP. We got to get moving on to something I like to call the random round, which is just a few really quick, random questions with some quick, random answers. You ready?
1: Yes. Let's do it, brother.
0: This is the random round. What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt?
1: Musician, specifically with a guitar.
0: If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why?
1: Man, honest, this is going to sound shady, so I will give a little bit of a disclaimer. Hitler, like, not because I think he's awesome, but because like, I don't know of another human being who's expressed so much call it horrible and evil, I'd want to understand, like, what the hell has happened to this guy? Mm. So I'd want to understand what has happened to him.
0: So to be clear, you don't think Hitler was great. (laughs) That would be be true, Travis. Thank you for clarifying. I want to clarify, yeah. (laughs) Give us a glimpse of your morning routine.
1: Yeah, my morning routine, I take a mile walk. Typically, I meditate for 10 minutes and do a quick gratitude journaling practice and then grab my coffee and I'm off to my creative time.
0: What does the uh, meditating look like for you?
1: Eyes closed and for 10 minutes. I'm just breathing in and out. And my mental mantra is I'm breathing in, I'm breathing out. I just let that mental mantra follow my breath.
0: When you first started doing that, did you find that it took you a while to be able to actually really clear your mind when you were saying that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And still, sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it happens quicker than others. I think doing it is important. Hmm. Doing it is the most important part. The, how my mind judges the quality of the meditation is maybe a distant second priority. How do you
0: like to learn best books, blogs, or podcasts?
1: Podcasts.
0: What is one of your favorites?
1: Man, well, this one right now, Travis, because you have this amazing guest on. And I, (laughs) you know, no joke, but I absolutely love your work. And then, you know, the Tim Ferriss podcast is wonderful. And Joe Rogan's podcast is wonderful. Mm. Like, I don't, there's like abstract learning that happens there. Right, right. Uh, It's very, very different, but I think it is great, too. What is your go-to pump-up song? radioactive by Imagine Dragons. Yes. What
0: are you not very good at?
1: Man, I am. (laughs) I I am not good with like little details in my personal life. You know, it's like I look at things around the house that could be done that I just, man, I I prioritize work way above and beyond the kind of like personal household things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If, if my wife didn't schedule time to go hang out with friends and stuff, I would just forget. <laughs> <I'm>
1: just... <laughs> what are friends?
0: <laughs> oh man. Well, so you got everything wrapped up here, JP. What is one place online where we'll be able to find you the most?
1: Sure. Facebook and YouTube. I'm always putting videos out there and my social media handles for everything is awaken with JP
0: so go online really you can just type in jp sears in the search bar and you can find a lot of stuff on jp's if you haven't watched any of his videos go binge watch for a while and i'm sure you will laugh and have a great time jp thanks so much for coming on the show today man had a great time with you
1: absolutely travis i appreciate you having me brother